episode 24 guys and remember check out the new website thepassivehang.com on there there's a growing list of resources i've started off with the library of locomotion where there's tips tutorials on how to perform some of these movements so that you can get started on your practice check it out thepassivehang.com This is a first-time special. I'm sitting down with three of the guys from Aspen Coaching, so multi-guest this week. Um, really excited about it. So just making a warm welcome to all you guys. So Paul, Emma, and Glenn, welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Paul, we had on a couple episodes back, um, but Emma and Glenn, yeah, I guess you guys are, are new to the podcast. So um, just similarly with Paul, you know, I always like going through a little bit of an intro. So yeah, maybe Glenn, do you want to kick it off? Like, um, you know, what's, <laughs> what's your journey been, you know, through this so far, um, you know, maybe personally and then leading into Aspen? Uh, well, personally, I guess I started um, training or personal training back in 2010, 2011. I can't remember. It's 2011, actually. Um, and I did the you know, normal just gym stuff, like working, doing pump classes and like uh, back and buys and all that kind of stuff for about probably two years. Uh, I got into CrossFit sort of halfway through that and then started doing like that a lot more. Um, opened the CrossFit gym with a mate. Um, did that for probably three years, I think. Um, and that just being the first business and all, and all the rest of that kind of stuff didn't work out too well. Um, ended up going from the CrossFit stuff into Edo after going to the Movement X workshop. Um, went heavily down the, the Edo world for probably about three years, maybe a little bit longer. And then just recently I've gone into the biting monkey style of doing things. Um, and in that time, like obviously the the thought processes around training, what it meant to me, what I was hoping to get out of it changed a fair bit. So initially it was, uh, I guess, mental health based. I was trying to, uh, to feel better about um, my day to day. And then from there, it's kind of evolved into a, a passion that's, that's like interlinked with who I am now. Um, and then the Aspen journey is basically, I, I started dating Emma. Um, Emma was in the business with Paul and a guy called Jake and I just kind of rode on their coattails and now here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask about how, you know, you guys all met and stuff, but um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a nice way. And how about you, Emma? Um, what's been your journey before, you know, you got, uh, I don't know, poached? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Regular gym industry started when I was like straight out of high school. So when I was 17, 18, I was working in a gym and have worked full time in a gym since then. Uh, I'm now 31. So it's been, been quite a time <laughs> um, and it's changed and evolved a lot. Uh, I met Paul and Glenn actually in 2014 at the Edo Movement X workshop that Glenn mentioned. So we didn't know each other before then. We all mm -hmm. rocked, up, rocked up at the same event. Um, and I had gone on um, someone's recommendation. I'd never really heard of Edo and they said, oh, he's coming to Perth. You should go. Um, so I did. And yeah, Glenn and I hung out for a little bit afterwards and Paul, Glenn, myself, Jake, a few others in Perth started all training together pretty casually. Like we all went back to our own gyms and we're doing the regular stuff. But then in our own time, we were meeting up down the parks and trying to piece together what we could remember from, you know, from the workshop and what we were finding online and, and this sort of thing. So that was kind of where it was all born, I guess. Um, and then when was it that Ninja opened? It was 2016. Yeah, 
2016, Paul actually got an opportunity to view this big premise. Um, it was a huge building, a massive warehouse, which is now Ninja Academy. And um, the owner of Ninja Academy asked Paul if he was interested in being a part of this vision that he had to build this massive, you know, multidisciplinary space with bouldering and Ninja Warrior and mm. all this type of stuff. And Paul mentioned it to Jake and I was working with Jake at the time. So we all kind of, we just kind of stumbled into it really. Mm. It was an opportunity or a challenge was presented and we were like, shit, this sounds pretty good. Let's, uh, let's see if we can um, make something work. And so we actually ended up closing down three gyms in the end. Glenn closed down his CrossFit gym. We closed down a little personal training studio. Paul closed down his training studio and we all pulled together to kind of manage all the classes and the personal trainers in this new environment. Um, at the time that was brilliant because what we were trying to teach really didn't fit in a regular gym, which I'm sure a lot of people out there can, can relate to, you know, you go into a gym, you're not allowed to take your shoes off. You're not allowed to hang on anything. There's nowhere to do any kind of movement because it's just jammed full with equipment. Um, so we were really lucky to, to go into that space and be, um, yeah, just, it was a blank canvas, I guess. We got to recreate classes the way we wanted to run them and everything was quite new. And then that kind of all, um, it started to present its own challenges because for us as personal trainers, we do a lot of work with general population and rehab. And we were, I, was, I remember one phone call specifically, I had a new client that was referred to me and they wanted to come in for a one-on-one -on -one, and they were like, do I need to wear a helmet and a mouth guard to, to come? <laughs> We're doing a rehab, like, you know, you've just been referred from an osteopath. No, you definitely don't need to wear a mouth guard. Um, so our approach, I guess, was a little bit hidden or hard to get out what we were about in mm. a space. So um, it was so bold in what it was doing. You know, Ninja Warrior is very clear what that's about. And, yeah, I guess our approach was a little bit harder to, to distinguish in that environment. So we just started to look for our own premise. We thought if something pops up, Let's um, go for it. And then something did pop up. Aspen popped up. <laughs> yeah. We kind of just stumbled in. It was the first place we found that looked suitable and we got the lease. So it wasn't really a big hunt. It was just like when the landlords came back and said, you can have it, we were like, shit. <laughs> okay, what do we do now? <laughs> so, to be fair, yeah. when we first put the, uh, put the expressive interest in leasing the building that we were in, I don't think any of us really thought that we would get it. It's like where we where everyone's been training before. Like I had my first gym was in a, a um, warehouse area, like a um, industrial estate kind of thing. Mm. Um, and the gym that we've got now is pretty much on the forefront of a cafe strip. So it wasn't something like we were shooting relatively high to get this space, and I don't think mm. anyone was or was expecting to get it. And so when we got approved, it was like, all right, crap, we gotta gotta sort our shit out and let this happen now. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to mention about this um, like environment because when I look at Aspen as well, you know, it doesn't look like a traditional gym. You know, normally g gyms, you have like the black mat flooring, you know, if it's sort of like a, a more well done gym, right? Or maybe it's like in a sort of like warehouse type style. But when I look at Aspen, it almost looks like it could be like a modern cafe, potentially, you know, if you just put some tables in there. So um what maybe Paul, do you want to take us through some of your, your guys thinking when, you know, you were designing this space? Was it, was it already like that or you were kind of like, okay, we want it to look and feel in that certain way. Um, I'm not actually sure how we came about 
like um, the final design for it. We wanted somewhere because at the time we were, we had such a massive space at, when we was at Ninja Academy, it was mm-hmm. 2000 square feet, I think. Um, and there was black mats everywhere, which made some of the, um, the floor work and things hard to manage. Um, so we wanted, you know, the, the concrete flooring was a definite that we wanted. The, like the polished concrete flooring um, and then the big clean open area um, and just having, um, I know with Glenn coming from the CrossFit world and um, the area where he was working in a Ninja, they had all the posts coming down from the, the rig, which was limiting space wise. And because our space was um, quite thin and long, we didn't want to have any of those down posts coming down and things. So that sort of made us go down that path of having a clean open space. Um, so we had the, like the metal work and things, the rig designed. So it was basically hidden. Um, and then having just a small area down the back where we do have some black matting for the, you know, the, the bumper plates and things. Um, and just then like the color scheme and stuff, it was just matched the, the kind of, it kind of came organically in a sense. Like I think the three of us didn't want to, we didn't want a gym that looked like a gym. Like yeah. that was when we were talking about stuff like, uh, like this, this space and the feel that you get when you walk into a yoga studio is so different to what you would get if you walk into a gym and the same if you walk into a dance studio, it's very different to what you get when you walk into a gym. And I think for what we were trying to do, because it was so different from a gym, we kind of wanted to have that nice feel to it and we wanted to be clean. So it just sort of happened that way. But it's actually tricky if you think, think about a normal gym, you, you need to have to teach handstands, you need lots of wall space and we need wall space and we need floor space. Like how do you get both of those things? Mm. And, and, and it's a bit easier cause we don't use the, you know, machines and things. Um, but we need open, open space, both in the, in the middle of the floor and against the walls, which is challenging. Mm. So it sort of creates itself in a way, I suppose, if you've got a clean canvas to start with. And, yeah. And I know for me, like I had a, I had a Pinterest board going with all of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different thing. Emily's definitely the driver of that. Since before we opened, I've had a Pinterest, a hidden Pinterest, Pinterest board called Aspen HQ. And it's got <laughs> indoor plants and concrete and wooden, like really raw, raw natural textures. So I think I always had like this vision of it being a very natural space because mm-hmm. what we were about was, you know, getting people to connect back to themselves and this natural kind of training, I guess. But yeah, the indoor plants, I think when I first mentioned it to you guys, you were like, no, we don't have the money. We're not spending the money on that. (laughs) And I've slowly snuck them in one at a time. (laughs) Yeah, Emma's definitely the finer details person. So all the polished finishing touches is Emma and then everything else is probably me and Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've found the true visionary here. So, I mean, I guess when you guys went to, you know, the, that original Edo workshop and you met, met each other, you know, there was probably like a heap of other people as well. Maybe Glenn, what what do you think it was about that draw you three together specifically in, um, you know, I guess it could have been any one of those sort of people. Do you think that, you know, there's a certain type of energy or, or values that you guys all hold in particular that draw you guys together? I think that there was a, a similarity in values as they were all relatively chilled out um, in a lot of ways. Um, we've got different approaches towards things and then over the time that we've spent together. So I think being at Ninja Academy and we were working side by side for close to three years before we left that, we all got to know each other a little bit better and we've mm-hmm. all been relatively supportive of like what we wanted to do um, 
I guess the differences in the way that we teach as well has come across quite um, quite well. So we've had to like, we've been able to see like for me personally, when I first started training at Ninja, like I had my CrossFit box and I was very, um, I'll say arrogant potentially. And I was pretty like certain that what I was doing was the best way of doing things. When we went to Movement X, I was kind of showing that that necessary, it wasn't necessarily the case. And then when we started training with Edo and then like training together at Ninja Academy and all that kind of stuff, seeing different approaches work with different people sort of changed that a fair bit so over the course of those two years the three of us got to to train together a lot more get to know the way each other think a lot more and i think that like i guess like this is going to sound silly but family values and all that kind of stuff kind of came through for the three of us a little bit more and it sort of happened like um unintendedly and organically and opportunistically all at the same time so mm. yeah. yeah because i guess um you know, even as you guys mentioned, when you jumped into Ninja Academy, you kind of got like gave up your your own small businesses right before that that jump went in. Like, I guess Emma, like, how did that sort of conversation go? You were just like, you know, this sounds really awesome. Let's let's get on board. Or, you know, it was it must have been pretty difficult. Uh, I mean, just me hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'd known the challenges I was having, I guess, in the gym prior to that was you know the clients that were coming to see me were expecting what i'd been doing in the past so i used to run a lot of like circuit training boot camps we'd go running together um you know a little hit workout so the group i had coming was really consistent they'd been training with me for years but then as i started to grow evolve and change what i wanted to do they were rocking up to their sessions and i started to ask them to you know crawl on the floor or do handstands or do this different stuff and you know, they would give it a shot, but ultimately they wanted what they'd been coming for. Mm. And that wasn't what I wanted to deliver anymore. Um, so I started to work in the parks for a while. I tried it for about like uh, the movement X was at the start of 2014. And I left the current gym I was in at the end of that year and worked in the park for six, for about six months. So I could start to, it was still with the same community, but I just, I could change things a little bit. And then Again, it was another evolution of going, okay, we kind of have a blank slate. Like the people that are coming in are already going to be looking for different training because it already doesn't look like a gym mm-hmm. and we get to start fresh again. Um, so that was probably the thing that drove me to make the decision. It was really, I mean, all decisions are a bit scary when you're making them, but you know, you know it's kind of the way you want to be going because what you're currently doing isn't working. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was quite easy in that sense. Are we still, when we was at, uh when we first went into Ninja Academy, like our business that we had together was hidden. So we managed the classes, but our, like our personal training was still our own. So, you know, I was advertising my own thing. Emma and Glenn were doing their own thing as well. Um, and it wasn't until we moved outside of Ninja Academy, we sort of made Aspen mm-hmm. um, and made it public and you know mm-hmm. had a website and became a group, a team instead of, um, more openly, I suppose, then. Mm. Mm. And Paul, how, how do you guys, um, I guess, describe what, what you do? Like, you know, if someone comes to Aspen and they're like, <laughs> what's it about? Yeah, I can see you guys all laughing. I don't know. Like, what do you guys say? Depends who you talk to yeah, and on what day. It <laughs> honestly depends who you're talking to and what day of the week it is and what month of the year it is. <laughs> but also, who walks in the door as well? Because I think that's the hardest thing is it's one, it's describing what we do, 
it's another thing like trying to um, explain that to a particular type of person, you know, because if the person's aware of uh, our style of training already, then that's much easier. But if they walk past the window and look in and see two minutes of a class, they've got these ideas in their head, their head of what we do. And um, yeah. so that does change things a lot. And it would also depend on which class they walk past as well. Cause we've got such yeah. a random array of different things that we're doing different classes. So some of the classes will feel dancey, some of them will feel strengthy. Some of them are obviously handstands and gymnastics strength based. And like some of them are just a general movement and rehab based. So it is a very, very very different environment and it is so broad but none of us can like if you ask me to sum up what we do here in two minutes i can't i'm gonna try you gonna try yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so i would say we try and understand where somebody is at in their own life and context and try to improve their movement whatever it takes so whether someone comes in is already quite mobile and they need more strength or someone is really stiff and tight and need to understand how to loosen through their joints or they're quite fit but just completely uncoordinated or wherever their gaps are i guess we're trying to find a way to communicate the importance to them Mm -hmm. and then find creative scenario to improve those those things so sometimes it looks like locomotion other times it's uh fm zero forms or coordinations and other times it's handstands for postural work like it really just depends that was a pretty good explanation guys i think you should yeah (laughs) to that one um so i guess how does that then translate to the people that actually do come and you know stay on for a long time how do you uh, are there certain traits or qualities like you you mentioned like you know i guess it's quite broad like because i know your work can have implications for like almost everybody right but like marketing 101 it's kind of like you know you can't target everyone you got to have you know a specific sort of person so yeah how, how do you describe like i guess who your students are can I jump in on that? Go for it. Um, so when we first opened, like I had this idea that in like the world of short clips and Instagram and, and posts and stuff, we wanted to be more like a Joe Rogan. So we wanted to have long conversations with people over time and mm-hmm. delve into subjects. And some people were definitely wanting to get a workout and that's their main thing that they're trying to get out of the gym. And they're the kind of people that will come into Aspen and maybe not necessarily stick around as long. But the people that have like a, either a, a personality type that makes them more inclined for the long-term work or they have an injury that means they don't have any other option but to delve into the long-term work are the kind of people that will, will stick around for a lot longer. Mm. So in terms of like age ranges and all of that kind of stuff, like our youngest is 16, our oldest is 81. Um, and we've got like a lot of people that are kind of like 30s and above pushing more towards 50s. We've got like a seniors group. We've got... So much stuff that goes on in here. Um, And the thing that kind of unites everyone that comes in the draw is that they're all usually really friendly, um, happy-ish to be around each other, non-egotistical, not trying to compete with each other. Um, That's probably the biggest thing that we've got as a commonality. So it's like a certain, like I guess, like a personality type of someone that comes in here, not necessarily like a physical type of someone that, that comes in here. It feels like what you're saying, like they're kind of like searching for a little bit more, right? Like not just, um, you know, I, I just want to work out and get a sweat, but maybe it's because of injury or something like that, that they're going like, oh, I need to work on this and understand more about about, about my body. Um, uh, yeah. In, in terms of, yeah, I guess what you guys are sort of constructing, you know, I went through your website, looks like you've got all these, you know, sort of varied classes, that sort of thing. Um, maybe Paul, this is a good one for you to answer. You know, is, 
do you describe it as an Aspen method or a way? Is, is, is there a, a method behind all this? Um, Glenn, you answer this one. We had this conversation, uh, uh, we, we had this conversation like five minutes ago and I think Glenn summed that up perfectly. So I'll hand the ball over to him. To... Yeah. Uh, um, I wouldn't say there's a method. No, I'd say that like what Emma was mentioning before about how trying to meet someone where they're at is probably the first, the first and foremost thing because everyone has their own context. So whether it's an injury or like someone who's got three kids and is time limited or someone who's got no kids and all the time in the world is going to impact the way that someone interacts with the space and then what they're trying to get out of their time. Um, so we don't really have a method like where anyone that comes in the door, we're going to work on balance. We're going to work on strength. We're going to work on coordination. We're going to work on proprioception and in working on those four things, we're hoping to increase the resilience of the person in a sense. Now, how you do that is completely dependent on the person that comes in the door. And then the other thing, which, um, I can't speak about what other gyms have done, but I can speak about my, my, my own experience. Um, when we were training like the, the Edo style of stuff, there's a certain checklist of things that you have to achieve, or there's certain checklists of things that you're being programmed for. And they're all sequential in a sense, but it's like you're trying to level up like a video game every single time. Mm -hmm. And some people don't want to do that. Some people don't have any interest in working on this particular area of their, of their training. And some people want to do it all. So like we do also have the context of the individual in terms of what they're interested in that will come into play with regard to how they interact with the space. Mm. Um, and I think that's like, yeah, so there is no method in a sense. It's sort of like a, a soup that gets concocted with the person that walks in the door. When we first opened, we tried to put everyone, like get everyone to do the Aspen way. Mm. So like our memberships and our way of coaching was very much, you should come to every class. You should be involved in everything. And I think so, I mean, with our time with COVID and that, when we came back, we've changed our memberships options slightly. And we now give more people like a choice and allow them to pick and choose a little bit more. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's working out both business wise and just for us as coaches as well. Yeah. And how you, you touched on it a little bit, Glenn, with, um, you know, someone was to jump in maybe like, you know, a first time newcomer, um, what, what does that process look like when someone comes in through the door, you know, they're like, Oh, I want to get started. Like, do you guys have like this designed onboarding process where you, you know, seed out those traits that you were just talking about before or, you know, how, what does that look like? Um, we don't really have like a, a formal onboarding thing. So a lot of the time, depending on where they've come from. So if there's a referral from an osteo or a physio or something like that, we'll usually sit down and have a chat and sort of like, with the information that the referee or the practitioner has given us, we'll have a chat and then decide what the best thing going forward is. So the majority of people that are coming in with like some sort of injury, will go into personal training for a short period of time. So we can really get to know them and then kind of go from there with regard to the person that comes in the door. It honestly depends where they're at. So we'll start people with the groundwork class most of the time. Um, if they're already sort of strong and capable or if they're interested in, they can just go into any of the classes. And if someone's like, um, looking for something specific, um, we might put them into FM or handstands or something like that. So it sort of depends. But one of the bigger things that we do, which, um, I think it's like, you don't see it as often, but I think it's probably the thing that works the best. We'll assess people on the fly. So you're not really going to know what someone's issues are until you see them move. And like you might have an idea about like what's going on with their body, but until you see them try and apply a strength through a, like a multitude of ranges, until you try and see them figure out like a coordination or do a handstand, it's not until they're actually 
using their body that you're like, okay, that needs to change, that needs to change, that needs to change. And that goes back to that Joe Rogan conversation thing that I said before, like if you're getting to know someone over a period of weeks and months, you can refine that process. And then you've got to like, I guess we all have a decision that we make with regard to um, what we think is the most important thing for that person to work on and then kind of channel the efforts towards that. Mm. And, um, one thing though, with bringing new people in, I would say is it's important for them to enjoy their first experience. So trying to get that understanding of what, what they're already interested in, like what of our website or our Instagram actually jumped out at them and then making sure that their first few visits with us are around those things. Because if they can't connect the dots, like someone's seen handstands, they've been watching Paul's journey on his posting because he posts a lot more than Glenn and I do. Um, and then they rock up to uh, groundwork or FM, they're not going to get what they were they're looking for and chances of them sticking around are, are lower and vice versa. So we do try and have that chat, whether it's via email or text or whatever, and encourage them to come to those classes first. And then as we get to know them a bit better, we can start to recommend them into the other classes that we feel would be beneficial. Mm. I like this um, because I know like lots of other gyms out there sometimes have, you know, like two or three one-on-one sessions beforehand, trying to do a, a bit of an assessment and educational process uh, as well. But what, from what it's sounding like is like you try and help these people almost like jump in straight away and like this assessment on the fly. It must be quite challenging as well because you're trying to coordinate the class at the same time, right? But then maybe the newcomer, you need to have, um, uh, I guess, more special attention. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We, we, um, one of the things we wanted from the beginning was to try and always have two teachers to a class mm -hmm. for that exact reason. Once you've got people that are familiar and they're used to coming in, it's really easy to run a class because they kind of become more and more self-sufficient the, lo the longer that they're here. But as soon as you have a couple of new people, they, they do need that closer attention. So if we have the two teachers, one person can roll and get the rest of the class going. And then we kind of have the second coach float around the new people and make sure that things are explained properly mm. um, and attention's given just to make them feel comfortable. And what are the, what are the classes that you guys offer at the moment? Um, we changed it after COVID, we changed it a little bit. So now we have strength and mobility running like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we program on a, a nine week cycle. Every three weeks we change um, our programming. So someone can attend Monday, Wednesday, Friday continuously and kind of cover all their upper body, lower body strength. Um, then on the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, we run our handstand classes, our Inspired by Fighting Monkey classes and Spinal Waves. And then I guess Groundwork and Seniors classes fit in as their own, their own thing. And that choice of like, I guess that nine week programming block with three weeks each time, like why did you guys choose that time period? It's evolved many times. This is the <laughs> <Yeah>. current trial. <laughs> so, um, I reckon that with the programming, it's been like a really good experiment in a sense. So when we first came in, um, like we had six week blocks of programming and we had like the usual bass, ass legs kind of split. Um, we were trying to get people to do bass, sass and legs like six times a week, basically, or two times a week for each, but we had a program that way. And then what we've found is basically with the program that we've done and with the people that we've been getting through the door, we've kind of 
evolved the the programming a fair bit between the the desires of the three coaches of, in terms of what we've wanted to see within the place and then also the outcomes that we we're getting with the clients so for a long time we were working like the heavier rep ranges so the two to four rep ranges with the the maximal effort strength stuff but when you've got a 50 year old that hasn't been to the gym before that just doesn't work um so we changed that a fair bit um we went for a period of time with like a crossfit style of a level one a level two a level three and then that became problematic because it was just you're trying to run three separate classes in one and there was no continuity that was almost impossible um the three-week cycle that we've been doing lately um is is a trial so we're in the second um block of nine weeks right now and it's probably been like the most successful programming we've done to date so the three weeks is basically do three weeks at the pointy end. So the one to three rep range, um, three weeks at like the five rep range, sometimes a little bit more, but mate, basically like a five range. And then we've got three weeks doing more conditioning style stuff with like anywhere from eight to 15 rep range. And then we just obviously change the movements based on what we're, we're looking to elicit from people in those, in those things, in those times. And that's been working really well so far. Mm, and um yeah i guess it's always really difficult right because you know you mentioned before you've got like such young people all the way to very old people as well i'm sure you know, everyone's at different difficulty levels as well yeah how, how do you sort of ensure that you know you kind of meet everybody at their at their level well the first thing is we have like a, a shorter like a smaller number of participants per class usually so the, the biggest class we'll have is 20 people and there'll be two two coaches in that and what you tend to find, I think this would be the same across any gym, the more advanced people require the least amount of like attention. So once the, I guess the, the, um, the base has been built, people can be a little bit more self-sufficient. So when people have got their injuries or when people are new, like we'll spend more time with them. So the guys that are beginners get a little bit more of our attention per class and the guys that are more advanced, you can go over and like, you can give one cue to someone that's advanced and they can work on that for the whole time. So it is actually like a, a relatively easy juggle in that respect, except for like when Emma mentioned, if you have like a couple of people that are brand new in the class, it obviously makes it so it's a bit bit more different in that respect. But And do each of you three like take every class or you divide it up? You have different specialties. Um, how does that look like? Maybe, yeah, Paul? Um, um, so the, the Monday, Wednesday and Friday, the strength classes, we all teach those. Um, and then the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday is more like, um, that's the handstands and the FM classes. Um, we, we tend to try and push towards our strengths on that and our own, um, our own passions. So I'm, uh, I'm heavily into the handstands. Um, so I, I tend to teach more of those and Emma and Glenn are studying the FM concepts. So they they take leadership of those. Mm. Um, but the, the main classes, the strength and the mobility ones, we all, we all take those. And with the fighting monkey practice, um, Emma and Glenn, like, I guess what drew you guys towards this, you know, uh, you mentioned that you were heavily into the Edo style training and then, you know, fighting monkey, you know, we've all seen that as well. It always looks like, you know, really very different, uh, you know, but I guess what was your guys attraction to now leaning into that? Yeah, I, jumped along to a workshop in Sydney and it was hosted at Jungle Brothers. Um, I think it was the second time they'd visited Australia. And I went because Soishi Porchetta mentioned it to me. And same, same thing as why I guess I rocked up at the Edo workshop. Someone who I kind of looked up to or aspired to um, 
spoke highly of it, recommended it. And so I went along not really knowing too much. Um, and there was, the workshop was amazing. I got a lot out of it. Um, I had a similar experience to when I went to Move Next is that you kind of, you build yourself up, you're doing all this work, you feel like you're quite fit or quite strong. And then you go into this environment where you're shown the opposite, <laughs> where you're shown a lot of challenges. And um, yeah, I found it really, really difficult. And every time I've, you know, I've found these hard things to work on, I find it really interesting to know why am I, I'm young, fit, I have no injuries. Why is it that I'm having so much trouble trying to understand or break these things down? And then I just get really curious trying to, to learn more. And there was something Joseph had said at the end of the workshop about becoming independent teachers and not being like a cookie cutter and just repeating, repeating methods, repeating training programs and repeating what's been before with no real um, independence to your thought. And that really stu uh, stuck with me. And so after that workshop, I signed up with their online coaching and I worked with Martin Bosey for 10 months and I was, yeah, I felt really out of my depth having these conversations with him one-on-one -on, -one on Skype, working on all this stuff. And, and at the time, I was the only person I knew in Perth doing this work. So I was standing in the middle of the gym trying to learn my coordinations, trying to do zero forms, trying to, trying to wrap my head around what this all was. Um, and yeah, I've just every opportunity I've had to go to another workshop, I've, I've taken. Um, and I've hosted them here in Perth for a couple of years as well. So I've been to a couple of... Um, mentorships uh sorry what are they called intensives a couple of intensives and about five or six weekend workshops and currently we're doing a mentorship with joseph um which came about during uh covid because we knew that we wouldn't be getting to travel this year or going to an event in person and i think it's really crucial to keep up our own education and and being the student in all of this mm -hmm. um so we put out the money that we would have put towards traveling to an event into mentorship with Joseph. So we're four months into that at the moment. And uh, it's kind of mind blowing as well. So when I got the transition from Edo to Fighting Monkey, um, I had, I've got to be completely honest, I had zero interest in FM at all. Um, the stuff that I saw was kind of like cool and interesting, but also weird as fuck. And I didn't really want to put myself down that route. Um, but uh, obviously Emma kind of got into it and then she arranged a, a workshop here at Aspen and the first time they came, like I, I came along to the workshop and I, like I'll be like completely honest, I didn't really enjoy it at all. Like it was very confronting. It was all this stuff that I couldn't do. You know, I felt uncoordinated, but I also felt like it was completely pointless because I was interested in strength. I was interested in handstands. I was interested in like taking that stuff further. I didn't see any of the work that I was doing as translating to that. Um, but Joseph stayed with us for the weekend. So I managed to have like a fair few decent conversations with, with, with him from the Thursday that he was here till the Monday that he left. And I just sort of saw the way that he interacted with people and how he was. And I was really curious about that because he was not egotistical. He was very um, funny and very fun to get along with. And he gave you heaps of time and he had like these really interesting takes on what I would consider like the normal everyday problems. And then from that, and the fact that Emma was more into it and I was kind of like looking at a, a way to connect my training with Emma's um, as well. Because uh, prior to that, when we were training, we didn't really get along too well when we were training. So it was like this big separation between <laughs> us. Um, so I was, looking, I was looking for a way to bridge that gap because uh, that was like you know another area of life that I was kind of curious about. And then I started doing the online uh, coaching uh, off the back of that. Uh, once again, more out of curiosity than anything else. And then as I started going down more of the balance and the coordination 
um, side of things. I started to feel these shifts in my body. And um, more important than anything else, it's like my brain and my body have become way more connected. And now things that I used to really struggle with, like cause I, I used to try and do boxing, for example. And when I was doing boxing, I was using just my arms. So I get tired really quickly and I had no power behind my punches. Um, but with the FM stuff, which you're moving your feet constantly, when I went back to boxing after a period of time, like the boxing was heaps easier to pick up, but I was way more powerful and I wasn't tired. And I've sort of had that crossover with a few things. Um, but it was more, I guess, the way that I felt within my body changed significantly from going to that style of training. And then it's, it's not one of those things you can really post about because like you walk better or you're, you're, you're a bit more in tune with your body. It's not something you can say, hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. Um, but I'm definitely more in tune with that and get, I guess, a lot out of that or enough out of that for me to continue my, my education with them. Mm. And so, yeah, I guess the... Um the the hard question is like how did you go or how do you guys go about like reteaching this stuff to others like i saw you know you have this inspired by fm class um you know my sort of perception of fm i haven't you know uh yet gone to a workshop or anything but you know i try and figure out like what's going on and i'm just like yeah n- n- no idea so and it kind of represents in that way a little bit as well right so how do you how what approach do you guys take to explaining it to your students um it's an ongoing conversation because it's it covers so much um like paul was saying before when clients walk in you've got to understand what it is that they're looking for and try and have a conversation where you're actually connecting to each other i've heard so many podcasts where like the presenter or the person being interviewed are like on different levels and then the questions and the answers they're kind of you know where they just don't really work. <laughs> mm. So I guess that's one of the fundamental parts is learning how to communicate. So hearing and listening to who's in front of you and finding the language, whether that be verbal or physical communication to bring a point across. Um, and I guess fundamentally it's about creating co- coordination and rhythm in the body. That would be like the first paramount principle of, of the practice. So um, you know, from there, everything kind of stems. We sometimes delve into, like the work we're doing in mentorship ourselves is very different to the work we present into a class. Mm-hmm. The class is a one hour kind of from start to end. It needs to be um, all inclusive to a degree. Um, so yeah, we, we bring the concepts of coordination, rhythm, um, how we perceive our body, also the mental stuff that goes on, because you'll find as soon as someone's confronted with a challenge, like the coordination work, they want to shut down, they want to walk to the back of the room, they stand to the side, they disengage, they tell themselves they can't do it. So, you know, we can connect on that level, like trying to get them to understand, well, they feel that it's very safe, supportive space. No one here is judging them because they're all in the same boat. And, um, you know, we get to challenge those, um, those messages that run through our head through a physical setting so we can really start to change that. Um, so for some people, yeah, it's more the mental side and for some people it's like the physical side of, you know, feeling more athletic or whatever. I think, um, I think with the, in regards to the content within an FM class, for example, probably the main thing is like uh, you're creating situations where people are going to use their body differently and explore their body differently. So that's where the, the tennis ball work and the games and stuff kind of come into it. And once again, from the outside looking in, like unless you're experiencing the frustration that happens and not being able to do it, it is a bit harder to, to sort of um, see what's going on. But it is one of those things you do need to experience. 
Um, so we'll do with the speed tool, for example, that's like an easy one to play around with because it's this big heavy metal thing that you throw and it gives you feedback straight away. Um, and then with the game-based stuff, like we're, we're always drawing different qualities out of people with the games. Um, and then the FM classes kind of generally tend to have an element of games, an element of speed tool, or an element of games, an element of dance, or an element of um, the zero forms, depending on, on which which group we've got in front of us and when. Um, but most of the time it will be a bit more playful. And then the coordinations kind of come into it a lot from there. Mm. Yeah, because I guess, you know, it's very like... Um from other gyms you wouldn't have like a direct comparison right to talking about like oh we're going to work on like rhythm and coordination in the body right um so i can't like do people walk in and then ask and, and be like oh you know like i want to work on this stuff i'm i'm thinking more people would be like you know i want to get stronger i want to get more mobile that sort of thing so how does it how does it start getting introduced to like that person who might be walking in and then asking for handstands per se or you know just generally wanting to get stronger how, how, how does that curiosity or that introduction uh, begin um i well i'd say well i'd say from um it depends on the person so some people come in the door and they've maybe seen it or um uh like the idea of it straight away so they'll jump straight into a class and just try it and then you get other people that will see it they'll come in and they'll, they'll either be in a private session or they'll stop on after a class maybe they'll stop on after handstands and they'll they'll watch a bit of the class and then that person might sort of drip feed into um you know taking on some of the material and then actually jump into a class in two weeks four weeks time six weeks time so i think it, it depends on the individual and then some people decide it's not for them and they'll stick with the handstands and the strength but you know in six months time they might be doing it like i choose not to practice it myself but you know in six months i might choose that route as well so it's i would love to see that yeah um, so i i think that's and that's how we've changed is like i feel like aspen's changed a lot it's the same with handstands like we don't force no one needs to handstand it's a choice mm -hmm. um, i think everyone should have a certain amount of mobility and strength for function um, so I think that is like a necessity, but, um, not everyone needs to do FM. Not everyone needs to do handstands and approaching it that way and let the person then, I think everyone should try both, but, um, we, we don't force anyone down and let them step into it when they feel ready. Yeah. I think the other thing as well is that whatever you're interested in. So like, if you, like, if, if we're interested in it, we're passionate about it. When we talk about it, we get excited about it. And then if someone likes us, and that's a really, really big part of this, if someone gets along with you and likes you, they're more willing to try it as a result of that conversation. But mm. it definitely isn't for everyone. Like some people, we're probably the only business in the planet that will put someone in a class that frustrates them so much they don't want to come back. <laughs> and then they come back. It's amazing. <laughs> and I think like with the private sessions, if you do a private session with Emma or Glenn, they're going to be doing using some of the concepts in their sessions. So, so a lot of our members will, will get introduced to a small percentage of it, which then will slowly increase. There is also another way to answer this as well. Like when we first did movement X, like we were the weirdos in the gym that were trying to figure out how to handstand. Mm -hmm. And then we got like, there was enough, like Perth is a pretty interesting place in terms of the gyms that are here, but like Paul would put up like a message on Facebook, come down to the beach and train handstand. And you get like, between sort of five and 15 people that would rock up and none of us could really handstand and we'd still try and figure it out. And then we go back to our gyms and then try and do it. 
and now I guess with the FM stuff, it's a similar sort of thing. Like we just have our members that are, are the people that are meeting up and trying this stuff out. Um, so you're still the weirdo in the gym, but it just happens to be the gym that you own. <laughs> and, you know, with any of like the stuff that you guys have learned through, you know, your, your different practices, have you guys found any sort of topics or teachings which just haven't resonated well or translated well to your, your students? In what respect? Uh, maybe just something that you've tried or tried to attempt teaching and then maybe like like the reception hasn't been like enthusiastic or maybe something that you've been really excited about then, then tried it and it just hasn't quite clicked? I think like... I think that happens quite regularly for us because like when um, like when I was teaching say deadlifts and squats and like sprints and kettlebell swings like... I remember the first time I tried to teach a deadlift, I made it this really complicated movement and I was like, you know, over the top with it. Now I can teach a deadlift in like two seconds. But with the coaching side of things, the more complicated tasks that you try and like relay, like the first time you do it quite often, you're not going to do it very well. It's the same, same first time you try and kick up to a handstand, you're not going to do it very well. So it's quite often we'll do this stuff at the workshop. So we'll try some stuff in our own training and then we pick it up really well. We're like, oh, this would be wicked in a class. And then you go and put it in a class and it's just crickets. Like it doesn't work very well at all. And then through that process, like you'll, you'll learn. There's been like nothing specifically that I would say like hasn't resonated. It might just be that um, our way of approaching it, our way of teaching it, the people that we were in front of when we tried it just didn't work that time. And like, I'll also be honest and say not every class that we've run is, has been amazing because sometimes you're learning it yourself. Mm. Yeah. I think having open dialogue, like we say with everyone, we're on this journey ourselves, we're learning, we're practicing. And one of the things we've learned through training is we need to reflect and look at what we've been doing and how effective is it, is it and make changes accordingly. Um, and teaching is the same. Teaching is a skill in itself. So you get better at choosing when to speak, choosing when not to speak, choosing when to pull someone out of the group and work with them or whether just to let them learn by experience. Um, And yeah, there's a lot of trust that goes in and knowing that it's not all going to unravel in one class, that this person hopefully trusts your process and continues to come over time and everything unravels and comes together over time. And we've seen it work enough times that we can be confident and we continue to get more and more confident as we work with more people. Um, so, yeah, and, and sometimes, like, when we are teaching something new, we say to the guys, like, bear with us. This is the first time we've taught yeah. this one. Uh, let's see how this goes. Yeah. And yeah. everyone's, like, you know, they give us their feedback. We work with them. We listen to what they've got to say and how they're mm. responding. And, and, yeah, we evolve classes from there. Yeah. I think that also comes back to that Joe Rogan analogy as well. Like, you're getting to know someone, you're having a conversation with them over time, and then, like, you have that ability to bounce back and forth with the people that you're working with. But it's interesting. We teach on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we teach the same class format at uh, 6 a.m., half past nine and 6 p.m. But you might change the content slightly to fit the group. Just And it won't be necessarily to the skill of the group. It'll be more to the energy of the group or you know, the way we teach it will change dramatically because just how the 6am group is sometimes compared to the 6pm can be totally different. Yeah. So it's not always the, the material. It's sometimes just the energy of the group. Yeah. It's seeming like, yeah, you guys really um, place like 
the the top priority on like the human relationship right and then really uh, i guess working with them understanding their needs and then adapting uh, adapting to fit um I guess, you know, with, with Aspen, with the way you run things, like with the class and uh, with like the general big group, do you guys have any sort of like mottos or rules or sayings that you address the, gr the group with? Um, maybe for one example, like with the gym I used to go, uh, everyone knew that if you arrived late for every minute that you're late, you had to like jump on the aero bike. And I, I hated that. But um, yeah, do you guys have anything <laughs> similar? No, uh, not really. No, we, we kind of give people a little bit of, um, shit <laughs> if they're five minutes late or something um, but no not really I mean we understand everyone's doing their best you know like to come and it's a big we're actually really appreciative of the people taking the time to leave work on time or to you know to get home later to come here mm. um, we don't have anything in that sense our tagline for Aspen would be strength through diversity and it's something that we remind ourselves of every time a conflict comes up so whether we're that's a conflict in how we're programming or you know, whenever we have these meetings, we're always discussing and debating and figuring out how to do things is that reminder that we are strong because we are working together. Mm. Um, and it takes the strengths of every single different person in this room to build what we're building. So mm. not making everybody be the same, not making everybody go through the same process, the same method, this type of thing, and feeling like an individual in any class, whenever they're working with us, feels like they can talk to us and make a decision for themselves you know yeah. so if they don't want to do that particular exercise or they need to find a, a way around it that that's always encouraged um there's one thing yeah. i'd like to add with that as well like um the uh, um probably one of the the more interesting aspects of like the kind of people that we do have at aspen is the the broad range of sort of mental health issues that we have some of our members facing so we have some people who have like anxiety and depression and and stuff like that that comes in a fair bit and um i know that like that example of if you rock up late to a class doing the, the assault bike is a, a bit of a joke but like if you've got someone who like just getting through the door of the gym is like a big enough challenge and like we've literally got sometimes people will be sitting in their car like psyching themselves up to walk in the door if they're a couple of minutes late and then you kind of slam them for it, it doesn't really end too well. Um, so we don't really, like, we definitely don't have any uh, punishments or any, any things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, we've just got, like, an interesting group of people, I guess, and, like, we don't really try and make it all. I don't hmm. think the group's that interesting. I think people feel comfortable enough to share what's going on in their world. I think all these things are really common. Yeah, it's just true. in most gyms, people don't talk. You know, yeah. very rarely is someone walking around here with their headphones on. They're welcome to if they would like to, <laughs> but you know, we know every single person, we know what their careers are. We know what their family lives are about. Like we really make an effort to get to know people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it makes a difference because we do understand as much as we can people's context. And how many members do you guys have at the moment? Just over a hundred. Yeah. Oh, nice. And um, I guess when you look around at other gyms or in the modern sort of fitness culture, you know, maybe what, what are some things that you think that you're sort of doing there at Aspen, which, are, um, which you'd like to see maybe be replicated more, you know, within other facil facilities? What, maybe if you could just choose a couple of things. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> um, I think not flogging like the i think the majority that this has come about with um hit training and all the rest of that kind of stuff and i think like i was a massive like um, advocate of this at one stage in life but 
it doesn't always have to be a max effort. It doesn't always have to be heavier. It doesn't always have to be faster. It doesn't always have to be harder. And you'd be surprised how like capable your body is when you're not always working to like the absolute ends of what you're capable of. Like, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned in the, in the years that I've been doing this. Um, I think it's really easy to make someone tired. And I think there's a lot of gyms that have their, their model based around making someone tired. And mm. I think that's probably one of the things that we fight against the most here. Cause we have large periods of rest. We have like, uh, more focus on the quality and slower reps than trying to do faster reps and more of them. And like the general definition, and this is from the, the person that goes to the gym as well as the gym itself. Like most people want to feel like they've done a workout and they want to feel tired and they've, they've you know, spent their money and their time, I guess, um, through that sweat and through that burn. Um, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily the best way of doing it. And I think you see, time and time again in terms of longevity if you take a slower approach if you're not trying to get it done in four weeks you're not trying to get it done in six weeks like all of us three we've been training for years like i before i was a personal trainer i, I was like into fitness and like for me it's been like what are we 2000 it's like 14 years or something that i've been training consistently and the same for all three of us and i think that's the message that gets lost on the average everyday person because they see the four week the six week the 12 weeks and they want to try and get a whole bunch of shit done in a short period of time mm -hmm. or they want to squeeze an entire day's worth of work into 45 minutes and i just don't think that's the best way of doing it yeah i've, I've certainly fallen um uh gone through periods in my life as well right where it's just like completely no pain no gain you know you gotta go not just a hundred percent but you know tabata style 110 percent whatever <laughs> that was but um that's fine that's fine like once a week maybe once a fortnight or whatever else mm. but not every single time you step foot in a gym especially if you're mm. on six days a week mm. and you know for maybe like a lot of the listeners um i know they're, they're teachers practitioners and maybe they have dreams of starting up their own you know sort of movement facility um i guess what what are some pieces of advice now that you guys have gone through this process that, you know, if you could sat, sit down with, you know, your current use, you would have told that person starting at the beginning of the journey. What, what would you say? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I think, I think the big, <laughs> the thing we haven't mentioned yet, we, we have a, um, like a silent partner in the, um, in the team who does our business side. So handles all the stuff that we know very little about. Um, and I think that's very important because um, because we're all we we appreciate each other's skills and ability with the training side, you know, and um, trying to do the business side is very challenging as well. So to have someone that takes the reins and um, pushes us in the right direction with that is very very important. Mediates us and stops us getting caught up in details. <laughs> yeah, you know. I think I think the um, sorry, um, I was just think as well with the. Um, what I'd probably say if anyone wants to, to do it is just to start because you're going to fuck it up. Like we, like we've mentioned before, all of us had our own gyms. We've all closed them. Um, through like when I opened my first gym, I remember having a conversation with my dad as I borrowed the money off him to open the gym, uh, that it would cost the same amount of, as money of money for me to go to university and learn how to run a business as it would for me to invest the money in a business and run that business. And the business that I'd opened with my friend, like it, it failed. It wasn't like working for a, for a multitude of reasons, but what I learned going through that process was worth way more than, than like thinking about it. And then like the opportunities that have arisen for us to start this, this 
journey weren't planned. It's not like we, we got together and sat down and said, let's make this happen. It's like something popped up, something else popped up and we just took advantage of it. And now here we are. Um, and it's been through communication, through relationships, through like all of that kind of stuff that we've ended up where we are. Um, but the other thing I would say is this isn't like a, having a passion project and having a gym that you're in love with is not necessarily a big money spinner. So if you're looking for a profitable business, go open like a snap fitness or something. I would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, um, yeah, that, that, that's really, uh, not nice thoughts because, uh, yeah, I guess if you know, for a lot of listeners, I know that, you know, there, there's always that attraction, right. When you get deeper into the practice, you know, it starts off, you, you know, you, you want to start sharing it and teaching it. And then it's kind of like every, every little kid's dream, like you want to have like, the world-class uh, f- facility and, and start that. So uh, I think what you said, Glenn, was re- really important, right? Like just like in practice, you just need to throw yourself in the deep end and just start learning and it, it might fail, but that's, that's okay. Right. Like you've like what you just said, I think that's like the worst outcome that people go through their head is like, Oh, you know, it's going to fail. It's not going to work out, but then you still had another chance to like redo it again. Right. And then do it even better. Yeah. yeah, you learn each time. And I think even within this business, like since we've opened, we've been open for just over two years, we've changed our timetable maybe six times. We've changed our class name, names from being more detailed to less detailed. We've changed our descriptions many times. Like we're constantly yeah. trying to look at what's not quite right because the communication of it is all of it. So, and I'm sure in a year or two's time, it'll be another evolution of what we're doing now because we continue to grow we continue to learn from the people and yeah just continue to provide a space that allows people to learn Mm. and and, um yeah i guess when you first started to maybe now like how did you find people to join right i I think this is always like a sort of challenge people always asking you know i want students or i want more students uh what what do you guys uh or how has your approach developed over time I think we were lucky because we were all successful in our one-on-one, like our private coaching businesses. So prior to opening this space, we all had full books of one-on-one clients and all those clients became members. So the day we opened, we had 50 members, um, which made it much easier Mm. and it was a big confidence boost as well. Um, However, those people were mainly used to doing privates with us. So having our undivided attention for an Mm. hour and then they had to get used to being in class environment. But payoff was instead of paying 100 bucks an hour for one session a week, they could pay less and come five times a week. So, you know, we felt that we could give a lot more by running classes. Um, we still do a lot of private sessions. It's still a big part of our business. I was going to say the other thing was with regard to finding clients, like we have a referral network that we, we get like referrals from, so physios, osteos, all that kind of stuff for the one-on-ones. We haven't really done too much in terms of marketing. In fact, uh, probably our most successful marketing is, is just Paul's Instagram um, and all of the stuff that he puts up on, online and um, all that. But yeah, in terms of finding clients, like we're, we're a visible space. We have the referral network. We, as I said, aren't that great at marketing, but we do, like we've, I think we've slowly built a brand as well. And I think just time, time and patience will make a big difference in that. And, and word of mouth as well. Because like we all had that bubble individually to start with that now has come together and then you know they talk to their friends and family and first not a big big place so word spreads quite quickly 
Um, and we get quite a few, few people through the door from referrals from other members and things. Mm. Um, it's probably something that in the future we need to get a little bit better at is putting more marketing out and finding that it's hard to do it. Um, knowing what to market, how to market, um, because it is hard to explain when someone comes in the door, let alone trying to explain to someone you don't know who you're talking to and uh, never met before on a piece of paper or on the social media. It's challenging. Yeah. I think um, like typical, what you mentioned before about how everyone says you need to find your niche market, <clears throat> you find a niche market and all these typical ways of doing business and doing marketing. And I've been to many different workshops. I've gone to different coaches. I've heard from different people and all the lessons that they say, I just, there's something in me just that goes, yeah, but that doesn't work for us. Like we're different. Like, you know, and I, and in the beginning it was like, am I just resisting it? Am I fighting it? But I really think it's true because we're not selling anybody a product or a service. Um, and they really need to be ready to, to take action in their life. And if they're not, then we are not the space for them, you know? So they need to be already reading or being on our website or it's a seed. Often when people come in, they say, I've been thinking about coming here for six months, 12 months, yeah. you know, it's a long-term thing. And, and I don't mind that because I'm like, okay, well now they're ready to walk through the doors. They're ready to initiate a conversation and they're ready to make some change. But when you're doing like direct marketing and paying for ads and whatnot, you're trying to interrupt someone's day and interrupt their routine and show them what you're about. And I just, there's something about that that just doesn't quite sit right for us. So we just kind of gone down that route of share what you're doing. And if it intrigues someone, then they'll come. So we've done like the student stories. We try and put out different members stories because they're all so unique and they'll resonate to different people for different reasons. And they're honest and truthful, so we can't make that stuff up. And the other, the community sessions we run as well. So when we first opened, we were doing like um, open days where people would come into a class and get to experience it. Like that was that was a good one. I think the other thing, like to go down that route, when we, like I don't do much on Instagram anymore, but there was a time when everything I shared, I was trying to um, talk to other coaches and talk to other people in the international community about who were already into this. So when I was putting my messaging out, it wouldn't land at the kind of person that's going to walk in the door of the gym. It would land the person that I know in New York that practices the same way that we do. And that would be like a, a different messaging altogether. Um, but yeah, just the student stories, as Emma said, and then all of that kind of stuff is going to be, but we might have to learn how to do the marketing a lot better. <laughs> and yeah, I guess um, just energetically, you know, for the three of you, I know that you guys have like quite involved practices like that you say, uh, how do you guys go about, you know, juggling, running a business, putting time and effort into your personal practice and then with the teaching uh, as well. I know, you know, Paul, you touched on it a little bit uh, in, in our last chat because, you know, you've got this large family as well. I don't know how the hell you do that, but <laughs> maybe for, you, know, <laughs> you, you two guys, yeah, how, um, how, how do you find that sort of balance uh, throughout the whole week to keep on going? I think we're all quite different on how we do that. Um, I mean, just the, you know, me having my life away from Aspen is very different. And then to have the training slotted in there somewhere as well. And then Emma and Glenn being married, being in Aspen training and stuff all together and training in the same way is very different. Um, I personally, a lot of my training now is maintaining skills and then hand balancing. That's, 
basically what I do and I don't have much time to do anything else on top of that. And I like it that way. It works for me. Um, I, I definitely couldn't take on new things at the moment. Um, uh, that's the way I manage it. I'll let Emma and Glenn. Yeah, I think we go through different phases where you feel like you're doing it, doing it really well and you're managing the balance and you know, you're putting enough time into clients, enough time into the business, enough time into your own training and enough time into your relationship and family and everything outside of. And then other times the balance is out of whack and you realize like, okay, I need to, I need to settle down a little bit and rearrange this and it constantly changes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't really, there isn't really an answer other than like being observant of your time and your energy. And if I'm waking up feeling shattered every day and coming to work tired, then something's got to give somewhere. Mm. And what I could cope with last month might be different to this month. And yeah, just noticing that it's always changing and taking the time when you need it. Mm -hmm. Since opening the business, I've definitely, my training time or my physical practice has reduced significantly. Um, you know, before Aspen, I would train every day regardless. Since Aspen, now I'd be happy if I do three or four, you know, training sessions. And even still, my life at the moment, I don't really have a training session, like a 45-minute window now. It's kind of like I'm always doing something, whether that's in the middle of class, 10 minutes over here, 20 minutes on my mm -hmm. days off. I have a bit more luxury time and I do a good couple of hours of it. But it's very much business comes first at the moment um, because we're a new business and that's where my priorities are, but yeah. it changes. Yeah. I relate to that as well. I think um, once upon a time I was less forgiving if I didn't train. So it'd be, you'd do your three, two, three sessions in a day. And if you missed one of the sessions, like you'd be staying up late to finish that session. Um, and it was a lot more hard on myself in that regard. Um, whereas now um, I'm definitely not that way. Like I said, the energy that I have uh, for things outside of training is kind of borderline more important for me now. So how I am with my relationship, as Emma mentioned before, how I am with my family, how I am with my friends and all that kind of stuff is starting to be more and more important than how I am during the training session. Mm. Whereas when I was training like the, the more volume style training, everything else was a sacrifice for the training, um, which is not how I, I don't think that's how I would, would want to live my life for a long period of time. Um, so how we are now is uh, I think it's a lot more manageable, but the, um, this is a term that you see a fair bit now, but like movement snacks. So like 10, 15 minutes of doing something at a time that's a bit more opportunistic and doing that throughout your day is probably more how I approach training. And then we're also extremely lucky, like with the amount of coaching we do within a day, I'm constantly demonstrating, constantly showing stuff. So all of my skill maintenance has basically been from showing other people or teaching other people how to do those skills. And then everything else that I do on top of that is sort of my own development. And then like being more seasonal with it. So if I'm wrecked and I want to take a week off, I just take a week off. Whereas before that used to be a problem mm. for me. Yeah, I guess that's probably the biggest challenge with like going from like the pr practitioner, practitioner to then the teacher and then the owner, right? It's like different levels of self-sacrifice because you can't go on training like all hours of the day, but then have to, yeah, like learn how to adapt and change and integrate that more into as an, as a more natural part of your day, perhaps with, with other people. But, um, uh, one question I wanted to ask you guys is, yeah. Um, where do you see Aspen sort of heading? As you mentioned, you know, it's still like, you know, fairly, fairly new and young in the two years, but, uh, yeah. Do you have a, a vision of how it's going to, to develop over time? Um, the boys just <laughs> looked at me, so I guess I'm answering. <laughs> 
Um, we have spoken about this a couple of times, like to make sure that all the effort, I guess, like I don't call it a sacrifice of what time and energy that goes into this place because I love it. Um, and I think it makes a big difference and I'm really passionate about what we do. So that's always there for me. And, you know, but to make sure that this effort and energy is directed towards something that the three of us all want and it doesn't just become like this groundhog day where, you know, you look back in five years time and go, oh, we're still doing the same thing. It still feels like I just have a job. Mm. Um, so that's definitely on our mind. We do want to ultimately like the most valuable thing for all of us is time. If we can free up more time in the day to be with our loved ones and to do the things we like to do, um, then that's a win. But this place doesn't run without people. So yeah, I guess an ultimate goal would be to grow our team and to make sure we have a group of people that are really like-minded that can continue to grow this with their passion and, you know, enthusiasm for what we do. Um, yeah, I think that would be the main part is, yeah, growing a, a team of people around us mm. so that it's not just the three of us because this place won't work if it's just the three of us. We need to keep mm. keep growing. That's very difficult. I think, like, the, the big thing is we don't, like, none of us really... Uh, franchise or business orientated in any way shape or form so the one the one facility is where all of our focus is going to be and then we'll just kind of like build on that um we've got we do have some uh personal trainers we are working with at the moment in terms of sharing what our practices and our thought processes with them and who knows if that will actually turn into to more coaches working with us or or what um we have no idea but I think whatever happens over the next few years, we'll obviously um, keep our uh, eyes and ears open. And if there's an opportunity that presents itself, we'll, we'll take it. But at the at the moment, like we, we kind of love this um, love this gym and sort of love what we're doing, and, and we just want to make sure it's still around, basically. Awesome. And um, yeah, I guess one final question that I had for you guys is, um, I guess, what's on the music playlist? Like, what are some favourites? Paul <laughs> 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 likes Oasis, and that's pretty much it. I know uh, Justin Bieber, yeah, and Taylor Swift, and Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I basically listen to what my kids listen to. <laughs> so my playlist is very different than the uh, the FM class playlist, should we say? Yeah. Um, so I, I throw on a lot of like old school sort of hip hop, and then like random dancey tracks. And I've actually like recently I've just been cranking some sort of eighties style like Motown stuff, which I've been loving. Um, but it kind of varies. We've got like anyone can access the iPad. So. And then I go for more the mellow like bonobo, like quieter music. But when I've got to do my coordinations, I have to listen to hip hop type stuff. Like yeah. I don't enjoy that, but it just kind of works for the for the training. Mm -hmm. But generally, if I had a choice, it would be no vocals, quiet, calm music. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's an ongoing joke. I think constantly change. Yeah. My, my favorite time in Aspen. So we close the gym between um, sort of twelve and four, and I usually come in here, keep the lights off, and then just crank whatever the fuck I feel like listening to, <laughs> and move around. And I love that. Um, yeah. Awesome. Then, probably the most requested CD that we have is Yanis and Sophia requesting Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack yeah. every Thursday night at Handstands class. It is a good soundtrack. I have listened to that one. And, uh, have you I, listened to it 30,000 times though? <laughs> not yet and not to Handstands. And maybe, you know, that, that, that changes the perception of the experience. But, um, Don't ruin it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, guys, for joining today. And, um, yeah, just 
sharing your experience and, and journey throughout this whole um, life of, you know, starting out the business and stuff. I'm sure like a lot of people would have gathered, you know, a lot of interesting insights and things from the conversation. So yeah, I just wanted to extend once again, my warm thank you to all three of you for jumping on onto the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Episode 24, that's a wrap. And thanks once again to Emma, Glenn and Paul for jumping on. It was great to hear from their experience. And for a lot of you listeners, I'm sure at one point in your lives, you've probably had that thought cross in your mind. What will it be like to open up my own movement gym or space? Wouldn't that be awesome? And so these guys have done it. And it was really great to hear how their journey has been. So hope you guys enjoyed. And if you did, please remember, share it on your profile, share it with a friend, you know, really helps get this podcast out there to other people. I really appreciate you guys doing so. And if you have any feedback for me, or if you have any suggestions as to who I should bring onto the podcast as well, please shoot me a message. You can reach me on Instagram at Fayon P, at P-H-A-O-N-P. And yeah, just thank you guys for listening. I really enjoy it. And I will see you guys in the next episode.